Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you, our listeners, to move beyond that fear, to solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle, to investigate supposedly ironclad truths, to unearth evidence buried for so long they believed it would stay buried. Season 1. A Cold War-era military base in the Horn of Africa called Cagnew Station. For years, there was an official story about a U.S. intelligence project at Cagnew, codenamed Stonehouse. The project included a pair of 15-story parabolic antennas that the American government claimed was simply part of a powerful radio communications operation. But as the space race with the Soviet Union intensified, that cover story looked increasingly flimsy. By the 1970s, civil war forced the U.S. from Ethiopia, and Cagnew Station closed for good. Or did it? What was Stonehouse, really? What happened at Cagnew Station between 1974 and 1991 when violence and war gave perfect cover to any shadowy agency, organization, or cabal seeking it? This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Jeffrey Spender. If you've seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you'll remember that the main characters who had seen UFOs become obsessed with a shape that looks like a mountain. And they feel compelled to keep creating art, sculptures, and sketches in that same shape. Our guest today, Nancy Schwann, has a similar story to tell. We'll get to Nancy in a minute, but first I want to tell you guys about some research I've done in the last week that I think is getting us closer to figuring out what Cagnew was really all about. Based on a lot of what we've talked about over the last month, here's what we know for sure. The Stonehouse antennas were used to connect the Pentagon with nuclear subs in the Indian Ocean. Two, a different scientific team at Cagnew Station was using Stonehouse to turn the ionosphere into a giant antenna so powerful that messages could penetrate below the ocean surface. That allowed the subs to remain submerged and undetected by the Soviet Navy. Three, heating up the ionosphere actually changed its molecular structure, causing mutated electrons from the upper atmosphere to attach themselves to the radio signals beamed into those Indian Ocean subs. And finally, over the course of nine months in 1966 and 1967, 23 sailors assigned to those nuclear submarines were diagnosed with sudden psychotic delusional disorder. So last week I found a Navy Medical Corps file from a 1968 inquest into what happened to those 23 sailors. Most of what was in the file was missing, and notes about the missing pages in the file said only that they were removed because they were classified. So I submitted a Freedom of Information Act request with the National Archives last week and received a response yesterday. The speed was not surprising. Most government agencies are very efficient with FOIAs, especially from journalists. They're all about transparency. What I did receive back was a mixed bag. Part of the response was sort of 
a non-response. Basically a note telling me they'd need to go into the individual files for each affected sailor to tell me what happened to them. But they did give me one sheaf of documents from the inquest itself, including a memo from August 9th, 1967 that was part of the inquest. Much of what was in there was redacted, but there was one line that caught my attention. It said, quote, men reported sounds variously described as humming, roaring, groaning, mechanical grinding, trumpets, and whistling. So I was able to root around the National Archives last week, and I found one of those recordings, and I'm going to play it for you guys right now. So again, that's the sound of mutated electrons from the ionosphere that attached themselves to the radio signals beamed into those sailors' brains. Very disturbing. So I'll report back next week when I get the rest of my FOIA request. Again, the government is very, very speedy when it comes to getting the American people their own documents. So lots more to look into. But this week, I'm here with my regular co-host, Deborah, former host of the syndicated radio show, Deborah and author of I Can't Go for Mind Control, No Can Do, Hall, Oats, and the Soviet Roots of Blue-Eyed Soul. What do you think of that? Oh, boy. I, I'm speechless. For the first time in my life and career, I'm speechless. I would say that I am not surprised, though. Well, yeah. I mean, this this is really, it's been the work of my last few years compiling this evidence and and I have submitted countless FOIA requests to Arista Records, gotten nothing back. Before I realized that you can only submit those to the government. Right. But still. I mean, but this was the kind of thing that you were looking for, that you had been looking for. You know, this this is this is what we would refer to as the smoking gun. Yeah. Because where there is Soviet smoke, there is a blue-eyed soul fire. Right. You, you, I mean, that's one. that was one of your phrases that got you fired from the... It's also the title of chapter six of my book. I can't go for mind control, parentheses, no can do, end parentheses, colon, hall, oats, and the Soviet roots of blue-eyed soul. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah. So... Uh, not what I expected to find in the National Archives, but there you go. As always, if you're new to the CAGNU story and want some of the background, you can listen to our first episode or go to our website, optophobia.org, for more context. So sadly, our scheduled guest for this week, Jefferson B. Kafribel, couldn't make it. Jefferson, who is a termite inspector in Shangalu, Louisiana, had found evidence that in the 1980s, during the Ethiopian Civil War, Cagnu Station was taken over by Yarko Hikipa. Hikipa is, of course, the former guitarist of the 70s Finnish prog rock band Dinko Gunt. 
And Jefferson established through years of research that Hikipa had housed a massive sex cult at the Cagnew base for nearly a decade. I'm a giant fan of Finnish prog rock, so I was really disappointed that Jefferson couldn't be here to talk about his story. Um, but according to his boss, Jefferson disappeared without any explanation a couple of weeks ago. Then his family received an email saying that he was in the Aland Islands, south of Finland, in the Baltic Sea. That happens to be where Yarko Hikipa moved in the 90s after he was booted out of Ethiopia and where he started another cult about 15 years ago. This one focused on a group that has sex in pine trees and consumes only vodka and blood sausage. So hopefully we'll have Jefferson on the show at some point to see if he traveled to the Island Islands to track down answers or potentially to join Hikipa's blood sausage sex cult. Either way, we are fortunate enough this week to have booked an amazing guest. The entrepreneur and artist Nancy Schwan is with us in the studio. Nancy, welcome to Optophobia. Thank you for having me. I'm just so excited to be here and be here with you all. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, uh, a little about your work? Sure. I, I would love that. I love talking about myself. I don't get to do that enough. Um, Nancy Schwan, no relation to the Schwan Empire of frozen foods, unfortunately. Um, I'm from Virginia, Minnesota. It's a real place. I don't know if you're familiar if you've ever been to Minnesota, but I am the Nancy of Nancy's Fancies. Cupcake Empire. Yeah. Ring, ring any bells? Famous. Have you ever? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my buttercream is award-winning in three states in the Midwest. You're a design, a cupcake designer. That's my title. Licensed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, licensed for 15 years. Yeah. 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 First one actually. Um, so cupcakes is my professional life, and the side I paint uh, landscapes mostly. Started out doing that on cupcakes, but decided I want a bigger, bigger palettes to work with, if you will. Oh, so you were so. you were designing landscapes onto cupcakes. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, painting with toothpicks. Did you ever try a sheet cake? No, not landscapes. The thing is, cupcakes bake very differently from sheet cakes, Deborah. So, never did that. Okay. Did you grow up baking? Where did where did your interest in baking cupcakes come from? Here's the thing. All my girlfriends started having babies at the same time. You go to the enough baby showers, you have a lot of bad cupcakes. So I thought I would try it. Turns out I'm really good at it. Cupcake design has not really been reinvented before me for several thousands of years. Is baking So baking is different than designing cupcakes. I mean, it's when it comes to cupcakes, it's all really one in the same process. Bake is you have to bake in a way that the design comes out, and vice versa. So you started the cupcake business fifteen Nancy's years ago. Fancies, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you have multiple locations in Minnesota, or just in Virginia? Uh, we have multiple locations in Virginia, Minnesota, uh, five, and we do have actually our sixth location opening up next week. We're getting ready for that now. I also have 10 cupcake uh, establishments around the Midwest outside of Virginia, Minnesota. Oh. So it is an empire, like yeah, I said. Yeah, right. I'm proud of that. It's just in the Midwest right now. Only in the Midwest, yeah. I don't like plane travel, so. <laughs> uh, 
And so your cupcake design work eventually led to your art, your landscape art. It was. It's not like you when you were a kid you liked to draw or. No, that's correct. Yeah, uh, my my cupcake designs started out really basic, uh, sprinkles here and there, some spelling out letters and names, uh, and then I, I just got sick of that. It was really rotting my brain. So yeah. Uh, I expanded out into um, replicating famous works of art on cupcakes, and then I went into my own works of art. That's how you – so you practiced almost on the cupcakes and then with other people's art, but mm-hmm. then eventually you found your own voice. That's correct, yep. Mm-hmm. It's the art, really, more than the cupcakes that led you to your Cagnu station interest. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, who would have thought that – my my art really would have taken over so much of my time, but it has. You know, I, I didn't expect that to happen. I didn't expect that my body would become a vessel for creating beautiful landscapes on uh, sketchbook paper, but that's my life now. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back to talk about an amazing story about how you became interested in Cagnus Station. We'll be right back. Hey, optophobes. I know it's unlikely, but are you in the Praetorian Guard? If you are part of this elite unit in the Imperial Roman Army, and your main job is ensuring the safety of the general in the field, you might be interested in Vespasian's Roman helmets. At Vespasian's, they craft their helmets from pure brass and line them with real leather for supreme comfort on the battlefield. The crests are made from the hair of horses raised on hand-tossed oats, and biodynamic farmed rutabaga in the Picenum region near the Adriatic Sea. If you order by Saturnalia, they'll emboss a lion's head symbol on the cheek guards for free. Head over to Vespasians.Coliseum and get 50 denarii off your order when you use promo code Vespasians.Coliseum slash optophobes. If you order soon, you'll have your new Roman helmet in time for the next festival of Janus. Okay, we're back with Nancy Schwan. Nancy, tell us a little bit about uh, how you first heard about Cagnu, how, how it came to you that this existed, and then it became a real interest of yours. Sure. Well, it's, it's a pretty wild story. What happened was I was sitting one day with Bill, who I was dating at the time. We were playing Scrabble. Are you all familiar with Scrabble? Sure. Are you any good? Because we can play after this. Okay, well, I, I don't participate in competitive board games. Okay. I'm, I've been starting to think about ha- playing again because it's been a while because here's the thing. Scrabble changed my life. One day we were playing. We were playing innocently. I think it was about 1 p.m. on a Sunday sitting on the side porch. And if you're familiar with Scrabble, you choose your tiles out of, you know, at random and you set them up. And my tiles spelled out the word Cagnu. And I didn't even didn't even think there was a word. I just said, well, that's a funny sounding thing. And I mixed it back up and, you know, spelled it. I just spelled the word new with it because that's all I could get out of that. I didn't even get the K. It was just N-E-W. Very embarrassing. The next day, when we played Scrabble again, Cagnu came up again first. Wow. At random. Oh, wow. 
So I looked it up in the dictionary, in the encyclopedia. See, that is that is part of the reason why I do not participate in competitive board game play, because competitive board games and the like are known to harness dark energy from the ionosphere. Ouija being the prime example, they can harness dark energy, and a lot of that dark energy just happens to be Soviet in nature.、Hmm. Competitive board games. It's like in the game of life,、mm-hmm. when at the end you all go and you live in this communal home, in this very Soviet style.、Mm. It just all leads to that. It's planting that seed. It's planting that Soviet、minds. seed. And then when you're actually in the midst of play, you're spinning, you're flipping cards. There's dark energy surrounding that entire experience. It might be interesting to look at Parker Brothers. Who are they? Are they actually brothers? Exactly. I don't know. I mean, did it scare you to come up with the same exact word that you'd never heard of t- two times in a row, or was it just sort of weird and coincidental? It scared me. I I'm not used to coincidences in my life. I don't have a lot of them prior to this happening, so it raised a couple red flags for me, and you know, it, it started to. Be something I thought about a lot, but I didn't know anything about it at the time. I just knew what it was. And when you looked up Cagnu after、uh, this frightening event, you became more and more interested in what had happened there. Yeah, I mean, you can say that it really became quite an obsession. I still don't know what happened there. We're all trying to figure that out, but I know that I can't stop thinking about it. I'm baking cupcakes, designing cupcakes. And just thinking about this, and you also mentioned that you've become a vessel of sorts、yeah. for this dark Cagnu energy. Is this reflected in your cupcake creations? This is reflected in my artwork, in my sketchbook. Here's what happened: I found myself inexplicably sketching landscapes of an unknown origin, beautiful landscapes. I was sketching them using Crayola watercolors because that was what I had at the house. But you never tried this on a sheet cake. Never on a sheet cake. Once again, I cannot hammer this home enough. Sheet cakes and cupcakes really do not cook the same. Anyone who tells you differently is a liar. Okay, I just thought it was the tin. The a difference in the tin. The timing is very different. Okay. But back to your your landscapes. I was sitting out one day in my treehouse. That was in the house I was renting at the time because of the family who lived there before me. I was sitting in the treehouse painting. I want to clarify: I don't have children. This was not my children's treehouse. It was just there. Th- this was a treehouse beh- behind behind my house, the house that you were renting. Renting. Okay. Yeah. The people who lived there before you, yeah, built this treehouse. To the best of my knowledge. I was drawing,、uh, sketching, painting. I really was doing anything I could to get these landscapes on the paper. I took. I have an entire little. It's sort of like a caboodle filled with different art supplies, and I, I brought it with me. And I found myself sketching landscapes that I had never seen before in person, but they looked just astounding, truly, and. Upon further research in Cagnu Station and its location, I realized 
that I had unwittingly been painting the landscapes of the Danakil Depression. Yeah, that is mind-blowing. So the Danakil Depression, for people who are not familiar with it, is an area along the Ethiopian and Eritrean border that was formed when tectonic plates in Africa and Asia came together, causing this depression in the earth. It's also called the cradle of humanity because there are so many fossils, really ancient fossils that are found in this area. So it's desolate, but really beautiful and a very important paleoanthropological part of the world. That was what scared me really the most was that my landscapes included bones. I was painting bones and I didn't know why. That you can that understand. Is eerie. Yeah. Spooky. So they're landscapes of places you've never seen. And in those landscapes, there are just bones. Fossilized bones. Fossilized. Did any of the bones have beautifully feathered hair or luscious mustaches? Hmm. You know, I do think a few of my landscapes had some fossilized bones where there were some impressions that may have been those of beautiful hair or mustaches. I'm going to take that little piece of information and I'm going to hold on to it for everything it's worth. I'm glad to help, Deborah. I brought my uh, copy of your book, by the way. I'm hoping you can sign that for me. Oh, my gosh. It would be my honor. Great. Thank you so much. Where where did you pick that up, by the way? Uh, Amazon. It's getting much more popular. Before, it was really only available in free-thinking bookstores. Well, I just want to clarify that this is only available on Amazon.truth. It's not available on Amazon.com. And it is a used copy, so that's that's probably why. And I, I just don't have a free-thinking bookstore in Virginia, Minnesota. So. No, not a lot of states have them. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah. So, Nancy, you shook the Scrabble tiles, and they came up Cagnew a couple times in a row, you became obsessed maybe with this part of the world without ever having been there. How do you think that you were able to, I don't know, understand what that, what that landscape looked like in order to channel it through your body and into your art? I, I have a, I'm 99% sure I know why. Oh. During this period of time, I had someone move in nearby me, also a renter, in this neighborhood. His name was Frank. I don't like talking about it. It's it's scary, so I have to I'm gonna have to take a breath. Yeah, take it okay. easy. Frank um Frank moved in down the street, and I swear it was not more than a couple days later that I started painting these landscapes. And I painted them for the next two years until Frank left the neighborhood. What do we know about Frank? Very little. Except that he was in the military. Some branch, he will not tell me which branch of the military. And he didn't tell you what he did when he was in the military? He said he he worked in the kitchen, but it seemed like a real lie to me. Kitchen. Just generic kitchen. And he didn't have any specific, I mean, did he tell you where he had been stationed? He said it was somewhere in Africa and in Europe and in Asia he kept telling me a different place every time that we spoke. Ooh, that is a surefire sign of a liar. That's what I, yeah. You ask Colin Oates what kind of music they make, sometimes they say blues, sometimes mm. they say pop, sometimes they say soul. Because they're liars and they can't choose one. 
I I just am blinded by your ability to tie things together into a nice bow. Mm. I, I just want to play devil's advocate for one second. If Frank had been in Africa, it's possible that he may have been stationed at Cagnu. I still wonder how he was able to, if, if indeed it was somehow that energy came from him, how your landscapes reflected the landscape in North Africa. I mean, the best theory that I've come up with is that he was receiving transmissions from those satellites in Cagnu to his satellites on his home. And they were coming through me, bringing images of Cagnu Station. I know. It's shocking. So he had satellites in his backyard or on his roof. On his roof. They looked like cable satellites. Doubt it. Really doubt that. And Frank left two years later? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you were never you never felt compelled after that to continue these landscapes, or at least those visions weren't in your head. No. Never any new visions after that. And I started drawing actually after that point uh fast food lobbies. Fast food chain lobbies. <laughs> so by fast food lobby <laughs> you mean the entrance area, like the foyer of the fast food chain? Uh, I, I was sketching really what I've been working on is the, you know, the, <laughs> I've been working on where you interact as a seller and a buyer, the counter. That, that entrance area is what I refer to as the fast food lobby. Okay, reg- I chalk that up to a regional difference. Oh, yeah, yeah. That must be a Minnesota thing. Oh, yeah. No, I'm sure, yeah. Did Frank ever try to buy any of the Danakil Depression landscapes from you? You know, I've never thought about that, but he did buy one in my garage sale, hmm. and he flipped through the rest of them very slowly, as if kind of trying to remember mm-hmm. what they looked like. Mm-hmm. And when did all this take place? When were the two years when when Frank was overlapping with you? Was this recently or? It was 1989 to 1991. Right at the same time uh, as Cagnet was actually supposedly dark. That's right. And you don't know what where Frank is now? He He disappeared? He disappeared and all he left was just like an old Easter basket on the curb. So I don't know what that meant. Oh, my gosh. An Easter basket. Yeah. Empty. Empty, except for that, uh, the, the grass. And all of these metaphorical Easter eggs he left us mm. to crack open with our brains. Did you ever get Frank's last name? No, I didn't. I do wish I had gone through his mail or something now. But Do you still have your, your collection of Danakil landscapes? I do. I brought them with me. I brought photos of them. Oh. I don't. I don't ever bring them out of the house. They're in a climate-controlled storage bin. Yeah. But I'm happy to show you the reproductions of them. I would love to see the, the how you portrayed the bones. I mean, I can I can do a quick sketch here if you'd like. Oh wow! I see you brought your pad and yeah. your charcoal. Yeah. Mm. Let me just sharpen it. <laughs> it's. It's if you now I know oh, I, I know oh, your wow. your listeners can't hear this and I'm sorry to you listeners, but I'm sure our listeners have sketched the Danakil Depression so many times that they know every brushstroke and which. Oh my gosh! That looks hot. Hot, sunny, 
vibrant yeah. bone. Oh, that's the bone. It was terrifying. I was in that treehouse alone. I was not dating at the time. I had no one I could call. My family was on vacation. Well, you got through it. Yeah. That's an amazing, amazing story. Oh, I, yeah. I'm so glad we, we had you on the show. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Thank you for having me. It's it's nice to speak with people who understand what I've been going through. So I want to thank our guest this week, Nancy Schwan. Truly fascinating. And thank you for a spontaneous drawing. That's a treat. Sure. Happy to be here. Thrilled. You know, if I were to put your story to a song, mm. that was my old trade was connecting stories to feelings oh, yeah. to songs. I would play Express Yourself by Madonna. That is a beautiful song. Thank you. And... I'll thank you on behalf of Madonna. And we are not going to go for second best. We're going to get to the bottom of your story. If anyone can do it, you guys can. I want to thank my always gifted co-host, Deborah. If you're in a free-thinking bookstore, not a lot of states have them, but if you happen to be in a state where there is one... Most of them are in Nevada. Pick up a copy of I Can't Go for Mind Control, No Can Do... Paul Oates, and the Soviet roots of Blue-Eyed Soul. Next week, we will talk to Grimy Mathers, a cartographer from Crump, Tennessee, who says she found a recording of an old radio program of swing dance music from when Cagnew was an Italian communications base called Radio Marina. In the background of that 1946 recording, according to Grimy, you can faintly hear Groucho Marx giving U.S. Secretary of State George Marshall very specific instructions about how to rebuild post-World War II Germany and Italy in order to repel the influence of communism. Wow. Yeah, so Groucho Marx was the architect of post-war Europe rebirth. No surprise there. Can't wait to learn more about that. Thank you for listening to Optophobia. I am Jeffrey Spender, and I will leave you with this. Punishments embrace is nothing more than the swan song of retribution's valor. If you've got theories about what was really going on at Cagnew Station, we'd like to hear them. You can find us on our website, optophobia.org, or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at at optophobes. And please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Thank you to Jenny Koch, who played Nancy Schwan. Jenny performs with The Quitters and The Lodge. Liz Sanders played Deborah. Liz performs with Madeline, a Washington Improv Theater house ensemble. Optophobia was produced by Tim Townsend. Music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Cover art by Claire Smalley. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next week, keep them open. <laughs>